Late Night Conversations Late Night Conversations Monday to Thursday 10pm till midnight My name is Patricia Nduli and we are speaking late night conversations. In our legal conversation, I'd like to welcome Kenneth Costa, who is a partner at Weber Wenzel Law Firm. Thank you very much for joining us this evening, Kenneth. Good evening, Patricia. This evening, we're talking about the difficulty of COVID-19 and the concerns around the workplace. I'd like us to firstly look at the fact that this particular pandemic we are faced with is an invisible one. So there's no way of telling whether the surface has been contaminated with COVID-19 or not, or even the atmosphere has COVID-19 or not, or even if your um, fellow colleague has COVID-19 or not, because other people are not even uh, asymptomatic. Now, these concerns will probably rise up with a lot of people going back to work under level three, that now that we need to go to work, are we protected? What are the rules and regulations around the Safe um, um, Occupational Health and Safety Act? And also taking a look at the Disaster Management Act. Patricia, you're, you're absolutely right. Managing COVID in the workplace is very difficult because it is invisible. Um, and we actually still know little about the virus, but what we do know is that it is highly contagious. And it's in that context that employers and employees now have to find each other in getting the, a, a solution so that we can get the economy up and running in level three. So if we look at what is what is an employer's obligation? Let's start with that. Effectively, in terms of the disaster management regulations, an employer must employ must must appoint a COVID compliance officer. That officer is effectively in charge of two things. The first thing is to ensure that a good and solid register of employees is taken in the sense of employees who are vulnerable, so employees who have any comorbid conditions. Uh, such as diabetes or any other respiratory um, issue, issue. And of course, that adds the further complication that employers must deal with that in a confidential and sensitive manner because, um, you know, employees are effectively giving very sensitive information to the employer. And then the second job of the COVID compliance officer is to ensure that the hygiene measures are met. Now, what those entail must be de- determined by risk assessment. So, of course, each workplace in South Africa is um, unique, and so each um, COVID compliance officer must look look at the hazard of COVID and assess the risks and put control measures into place for that specific workplace. Of course, at the, one of the, the control measures that needs to be put in place is the of adequate PPE, such as cloth masks, sanitizers, access to uh, washing facilities. And then I guess very importantly is a physical or social distancing uh, policy in terms of which employees should be kept apart as far as they can in a specific uh, setting, but, uh, you know, no less than 1.5 meters. So it's in this very difficult context where employees are, where, where, where employers have quite a, a very rigorous duty 
that what can employees do? Well, under the Mine Health and Safety Act and the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and we anticipate it will also be so under the uh, directive which is going to be issued by the Minister of Employment and Labour, there is a right to withdraw from a dangerous working place. But the issue with that, of course, is how that is understood in the ordinary course, let's say, without COVID. And the way we understand it in the ordinary course is that we have a situation whereby employees who have a clear and present danger may withdraw from the workplace. But take, for example, an explosion or a fall of ground, which is a different um, it's it's very immediate and it has catastrophic results. Now that is different to the way in which we I understand the the COVID virus to, to be. So what we say is employees must have some objectively justifiable reason to withdraw from the workplace. Now, you mentioned the fact that uh, COVID compliance officers need to be employed by employees. I'd like you to please qualify this for us because a lot of employers might say at this current time, we don't have the funds to employ an additional person or even to train them. What what the regulations envisage is not really employing an extra employee. You could appoint from amongst your current employees somebody to be responsible as the COVID compliance officer. So the the regulations do not require the additional employment, but but situation whereby an employer can look and say, right, amongst my workforce, and usually I think it should be somebody involved in health and safety or somebody who is able to make decisions and have access to top management or be top management in, in itself so that they can say we are able to uh, discharge this duty. Now, with uh, these particular compliance officers, COVID uh, compliance officers, who gives them training? Is there set uh, training manuals and uh, should employers or do all employers who have opened up their doors as of Monday know that they are supposed to have such an officer and have they trained them? Well, I certainly hope that employers do know that they are required to have a COVID compliance officer in circumstances where they have not been operating under level five and four, you know, because if you were an essential service, you could have operated. So this is about employers um, reopening their workplaces for the first time. Now, for healthy health and safety uh, practitioners, this, of course, is a time when, you know, we, we, we become forefront in the minds of the employers. And so, as such, I would hope that employee, employers would have arranged for training of health and safety staff, specifically around the issue of risk assessment. Um, because, you know, South African law and the way in which we deal with health and safety at the workplace is all risk-based. And that is a vitally important part. So the training in relation to what a COVID officer might be required to do will be general health and safety training, but with a very strong risk-based um, basis, if you can, if I can call it that. And then the regulations, the disaster management regulations are quite 
clear in what the COVID compliance officer's duties are. And it also has an annexure at the end, which is called the Workplace Manage- Management Plan. And it basically sets out, this is what you as the COVID compliance officer must ensure is in place. So, Patricia, it is a very good question. And I think in general, there is a, a, a real need that we definitely train people up in health and safety. But as it stands at the moment, there is guidance for employers. So one shouldn't lose hope. There is guidance. You can look at the the regulations and uh, put that into place. We are talking uh, to Kenneth Costa, a partner at Weber Wenzel Law Firm. We are talking about the issue of reopening of the workplaces, people going back to work under level three, and also what their concerns might be around the workplace and withdrawing their services at their employers because of fears that COVID-19 could be a high risk for them. You might want to weigh in on the conversation. You might want to ask your questions. Well, you can do so. It is a legal matter. And we are looking at issues like uh, the Mining Health and Safety Act and also Occupational Health and Safety Act. So join in on the conversation by calling 0891-104-207 or you can WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. The SMS line is 41391. Kenneth, I'd like us to look at this particular issue now. We've heard that a lot of teachers, in fact, even under some certain trade unions, are not ready to go back to work. They are not ready to report to duty. But what does this mean? What will then happen if they refuse to report back to duty because of fears of either, you know, not enough PPE and worse of all, I mean, a couple of districts in the KZN region, PPE went it went AWOL, when it disappeared. Mm. So obviously, and and people in some communities say they have not seen anyone go and sanitize schools. They are not sure, you know, if their their health will be put in the forefront. Mm-hmm. What will happen to such teachers? So, what what I would say, Patricia, is that I think the first port of call is, of course, we must assume that employers have put the necessary measures into place to ensure the safe and healthy workplace. In the, let's assume that that has been done. Well, in those circumstances, we say that, in, that, that employees are going to have to show some kind of objective re, um, justification for refusing to return to work. For instance, let's um, use this as an example. We have a teacher, uh, he or she um, is young, healthy, um, ready to go back or, or, or able to work, um, suffers no comorbidities, and that that teacher is just generally afraid of the of COVID nineteen and the virus. But that teacher has absolutely no information from the workplace or from the school to say, well, it's. Um, we've had a COVID case here or we've had a pupil with COVID or we've had a a fellow teacher with COVID. We say in that situation, it it could possibly be regarded as bad faith on the part of the employee. And in those circumstances, employers could follow a disciplinary process. Of course, where one or more employees withdraw their labor, that could be similar to uh, industrial action in which the no work, no pay principle will apply. 
But of course, I would encourage employers and employees to find the middle ground here because if you look at the Act, the Mine Health and Safety Act in particular, it says where employees refuse or withdraw from a dangerous working place, they form part of the solution. They must then engage constructively with the employer to remedy what it is that they are concerned about so that they can go back to work as soon as possible. So it's it's really where employees have no objective uh, justification, that's where we can pick up troubles. But again, this does not detract from an employer's duty to ensure that the workplace is ready and safe. Now, you know, earlier as we started, I spoke about uh, the fact that one of my friends um, has um, contracted COVID-19. Before I even get to that story, I'd like to remind everyone to please send us those voice notes and ask their questions. We are talking about workplaces being ready uh, amidst the COVID-19 concerns. And what are the rights and responsibilities of employees and employers if the employee wants to withdraw their services due to concerns around COVID-19? The SMS line is 41391. One, or you can call us on 0891-104-207. WhatsApp line is 0614-104-107. And we are speaking to Kenneth Costa, who is a partner at Weber Wenzel Law Firm. Now, I was saying earlier, uh, Kenneth, that a friend of mine who's a medical pra- uh, practitioner contracted uh, COVID-19 and um, subsequently spread it to her family, her kids and her husband. In that case, a person who works in a high-risk environment, such as the healthcare um, sector, has contracted this particular disease, and now they fear for reinfection, despite the fact that they might have all the PPE and they might have um, everything that's that's um, precautionary measures that are supplied by the employer. What are their rights? Can she say, "I don't want a, a second infection. I, I'd rather stay at home." Well, you see, one of the the, the issues with um, the, the, the virus is that healthcare workers are at the forefront uh, of this. What an empl- what somebody in that position, I think, could do is rely on the systems that an employer might have in place in relation to screening, in relation to isolation, and in relation to um, quarantine, and. At, 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 at the end of the day, I think it's going to require some very uh, careful value judgments that need to be made. But in the case, I think, as you have mentioned, where somebody has actually contracted COVID, well, in those circumstances, I think it would be justifiable to withdraw <laughs> from the workplace. Um, it, what, what, what we really just don't want to see, I think, in the economy in general is large swathes of employees without any justification to do so, simply saying, um, I'm afraid of the virus in general, and there's nothing you can do to persuade me otherwise, and I will not, uh, and I refuse to work. That's what what, what we want to avoid. But where there is a justification, as um, this friend of yours would have, of course, in those circumstances, they, what, what they should be able to do is rely on the systems the employer has put into place. You know, I think a lot of South Africans are only too glad to go back to work because it affects our our daily living. So a lot of people are keen to go back to work because they want to earn an income. But yes, it is true. The fear of the COVID-19 and contracting that disease is, 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 is quite high amongst a lot of us.
Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Good evening, Patricia. This is Morris from Nelspreet. Uh, on the issue of an employee withdrawing from the, uh, his workplace because of the fear of contracting the virus, what happens then if the employer in return victimizes the employee? It could happen later on. Maybe the company considers going for retrenchment. Wouldn't he then use that to spite the employee, you know? Thank you. Uh, good morning, Mambele. I work for a company, and I'm uh, uh, one of the biggest companies in South Africa. Basically, uh, I would like to inquire uh, about these few points. Uh, an awareness, is it, a, is it regarded as training on how to use a PPE? And then again, what is the appropriate manner of handling and cleaning the mask or the PPE that you have been given? And what is the lifespan of the cloth mask being given by an employer? And again, in case you lose your mask, what is it that is going to happen? What are the implications? And uh, if in case an employee is, uh, is not able to wear a mask due to medical uh, conditions, what, what is the law saying then? Thanks. Well, uh, we are speaking to Kenneth Costa and we are talking about the issue of uh, employees and employers in South Africa, especially in the light of the COVID-19 concerns where employees um, can withdraw their services. Kenneth, I think you have heard the question. Let's start with the first one from Morris. Morris is saying, um, what if the employee has reasonable grounds they have checked out of the scenario the environment is not compliant they don't feel safe and they withdraw their services what will happen then and will they not fall victimized uh, will not they not become victimized by the employer in a later stage patricia it is one of those conundrums which is unfortunately best solved on the actual specific facts because i abs- i hear morris's concern um, I, I, of course, would never advise an employer that I was acting for to victimize in any measure an, emp- an employee who is, has got a reasonable justification um, in, in this regard. But I really think that what, what one of the, the, the benefits, I think, of the trade union movement and of, of good, solid employer engagement is, is that employers and employees more than now should say guys we need to get the economy up and running let's be sensible let's be careful um and and let's let's be open and honest with one another this is what we can do this is what we can't do and it's in that context that that conversation would have to would have to occur i would hate to see anybody victimized because of a real apprehension that they may contract COVID. You know, it seems like uh, a lot of uh, employees or people are quite concerned about uh, possibly being victims because someone else has sent a uh, WhatsApp saying, good evening, are employers allowed to retrench all employees and restructure few people amongst retrenched ones as uh, subcontractors and pay them lower wages than before? Well, well it's absolutely... Um, 
this this is this is the difficulty is that re- the, the issue of retrenchment has got to do with the Labor Relations Act and the employer can retrench if it has a financial structural um, or similar knee operational need and I think with the COVID virus there will be employers who have an an operational need which they simply cannot remedy except to try and restructure um, their, their, their staff so you you see it's in this context that, that we then could have employees who let's say withdraw their labor without having a proper justification and as a result putting the employer in a very difficult position that well now business is is really down and they simply have to take steps to either save the business um, or, or keep it sustainable. So it, it really, Patricia, is we are we are at in a difficult place um, from an economic perspective. Um, I would hate to see a single retrenchment. Unfortunately, uh, being a, a realist, I think that we'll need to see in the next bit how uh, big the impact of this virus. Has been. Let's address the second uh, WhatsApp voice note that we received before we move on to yes. the caller. Um, he asked about the awareness of uh, the PPE handling. Is mm. that uh, compliant with the COVID um, consultant or COVID so, compliance officer? Co- yes. So, so the employer should provide training, all relevant training, to employees in relation to the proper use of PPE. Another very important principle is that employers may not charge employees for the PPE. So you can't, you, you, it's not It's not something that you can deduct from their remuneration. Um, so effectively, employers must provide training in relation to the use of cloth masks. And one question which has come up, which is, um, and again, this just shows you where people need to be, uh, where employers and employ- employees need to meet one another, is, you know, a cloth mask is a very personal item. Um, I would not particularly like my cloth mask. Um, it's a bit like underwear. You, you, I would like to be, be the person who washes it, <laughs> who mm-hmm. dries it, who irons it, because I, because then I know you know, my cloth mask is ready and pr- I can I can use it properly. And it's in this context where some some employees might say, well, I think it's the job of the employer to clean my cloth mask. And it's here where we've got to have this finding of the two parties so that so that we can resolve these types of issues. But certainly it would be a requirement to train employees in the proper wear use of a, of a, a, a mask a face mask as to the question that was asked by that caller in relation to how long these cloth masks or how long the masks are good for that is something that will have to be discussed with a supplier of those masks mm-hmm. Um, but in generally, the cloth mask is washable and reusable. Now, you also asked the fact that what happens if uh, the, uh, the employer has provided me with PPE and I misplace it? Well, can they then charge me for the second so, set? So that is uh, where 
employers are going to have to put into place a measure in which they well employers have to give employees two cloth masks i would suggest that where employees misplace their cloth masks after those two that that the employer may have some recourse or to make some kind of uh, arrangement with the employee whereby you know the, the funding or the funding of that but at at the end of the day i would not like to see that i'd like to see employers providing the PPE to their employees to ask the employees when they do so to get them to sign a pledge or a commitment that they will look after this and that they will use it properly. Mm. Um, because, you know, one one of the things that I think we will also see in the, in the near future is, are we going to see other employees <laughs> tell <laughs> on those employees who are not adhering to the employer's workplace? I would suggest that in terms of legislation, and specifically the health and safety legislation, employees have a duty to look after their own health and safety, as well as the health and safety of others. Let's uh, go to Felix. Felix, thank you very much for holding. Good evening. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's a pleasure, Felix. Thank you so much. I think I wanted to say that we must distinguish between living cautiously and living fearfully. When you are cautious about your living, you are rational to look at everything that may cause you harm, and you take a rational step to try and mitigate against anything that can cause you harm. But if you are living fearfully, you are paralyzed. You become irrational. Even after they have addressed your issue and said, no, now you have a mask, now you have a social distancing measure, you still insisting that no. I cannot work because I'm too fearful. I'm going to die. You are even fear. You are, you are so much fearful that you don't even want to breathe anymore. Because if you breathe, you are going to break in the virus. So that's what it means to be fearful. And when an employee feels that he can no longer be in a place of employment, he can easily resign. Because naturally, there is the health safety measures in workplaces, which the employer must comply with. And if he has complied with everything, the employee is still not satisfied then you can resign. Sure, Felix, thank you for those nuggets of wisdom. I think we need to be rational instead of fearful. Thank you very much, Felix, in Mpumalanga. Now, I'd like us to round off our discussion, Kenneth. And uh, from my side, I just want to find out what are the trade union's responsibilities here? Because I know a lot of, especially like uh, the the teachers, healthcare workers, and so on and so forth, even mine workers, um, are represented by trade unions. What are their responsibility? What role can they play to ensure that both the employer and employee adhere to certain rules and regulations and the workplace is safe, um, even in this time of pandemic? Absolutely. I think trade unions have a very important role to play at the moment. Um, in terms of their, their functions, I think that obviously they have got collectively the power to ensure and to monitor employee em- employers and to say to employers, you're compliant or you're not compliant, or at least even if that's not the case, to engage with the employer and to say why they think they are not compliant and give the the employer an opportunity to respond to that. What is very important is that generally when employees have the, the, the right to withdraw from a dangerous working place, they will look to a, an, an elected and appointed um, health and safety representative 
So they, they, and, and that person will often be from organized labor to say, so it would be a team leader who goes into a specific place of work and says, guys, I'm not satisfied. I'm going to ask you all to withdraw. And it's in that context that trade unions will have exactly the same responsibility as an employee to have a rational, reasonable, and objective justification to withdraw from a dangerous working place. I really hope, and I know, have no doubt that, in, that trade unions will be very alive to the severe and significant economic impacts which this virus is uh, wreaking on the South African economy, and as such, to engage with employers constructively so that we really can save jobs and uh, get back on uh, a, a, a better trajectory. Thank you so very much for joining us this evening, Kenneth. And I think you've given us uh, the perspective on what are the rights and responsibilities legally for employees and employers um, when it comes to withdrawing your services because of fears of COVID-19. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is SAFM leading the late night conversations.